at GBQ. We're always counting. Now we're making your time count with this episode of Empower Hour. Start the clock. So I am excited today. I have a new friend with me. Um, everybody knows Frederick Bertley as Dr. B. He is the president of COSI, which I've had a relationship with since I think second grade, but it's a much different place today than it than it was when I first visited. Welcome, Dr. B. Doug, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. The fact that you loved COSI when you were two and you love it now as a grown man makes us feel really happy here at COSI because we want to make sure everybody of all ages enjoys our programs. Well, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about that. I mean, that was back in the day when it was on Broad Street, a beautiful old building, and now it's in a beautiful new building. Um, but it's not just a building, and we'll get into some of that later on. I told you before we started recording, though, that I found this awesome video on YouTube. I went to www.frederickbertley.com and found this inspirational video, Learn Things, you speaking right before the president at the Intel groundbreaking. And so I just want to dive into that. Tell me about that. First about that day, and then there were things I learned about Ohio that I didn't know. So we'll talk about some of that. You got it. Well, first of all, thanks for bringing that up. That was an honor and a privilege and just something that doesn't happen every day. But it's a funny, true story. And I got to take you back. So at COSI, we do a lot of stuff, of course, at the mothership. That's our building. We want to make sure we have a great site for people to come to our building and really enjoy science. People of all ages. Great. But we also extend beyond the walls of the building. And so we started in you know, Franklin County then Central Ohio, now we're in all 88 states, and now we've crossed state lines, we're doing stuff in about 17 different states. And when I say doing stuff, I mean, we know that science is everywhere and science is for everyone. So we try to develop programs that can actually showcase that and get people excited about science. So we've been doing this stuff and we've been getting recognition throughout the nation, so much so that we got the attention of the White House. And so we've been collaborating literally with the White House and the President's office, and separately the White House with Vice President Harris's office. All right. That's all relevant to this Intel groundbreaking, which, by the way, I know your audience knows this, but this Intel groundbreaking is the largest investment in the history of these United States by a company. $20 billion as part of the CHIP Act to build a manufacturing plant here in this great country so we're not relying on foreign countries for our chips. And you, as a cybersecurity founder, initiator, God, understand how important these are, right? All right. So they're doing this groundbreaking here. Not because I'm extra special, but because I'm the head of a science museum and we collaborate with different folks. I was invited to the Intel groundbreaking as part of a kind of VIP group. You know, you weren't going to meet the president or anything like that, but I was invited to go. So, of course, I was going to go support the. Well, this was on a Friday in September. Literally, that same Friday in September, I was also invited, myself and a colleague, to go across the country to Houston at Johnson Space Center because Vice President Kamala Harris was launching a STEM initiative for the whole country featuring 18 different programs across the country, only two museums. One was a Smithsonian with a digital presence, and the second museum was COSI and our science learning lunchboxes. These are kits that have five demonstrations about space science. Because she was announcing our program, it was more personal to COSI, more personal to me, and we were going to meet with the Vice President Harris, where I was not going to be present. You know, I declined going to the VIP event. And so the Sunday before the Friday event, I booked my flights to Houston, 
Try out for my hotel. Myself and a colleague are going out there. On Wednesday, we get a call from the White House. And literally, pick up the phone, hello, it's the White House. I'm like, what? So, so, so the person identifies themselves and they say, hey, Dr. Bertley, um, we noticed you didn't RSVP for the Biden groundbreaking event at Intel in New Albany. And I was like, you know, now I'm embarrassed, right? So I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. I'm not trying to dismiss the President of the United States. But at the same, very same time, that same Friday morning, I was invited by Vice President Harris to do this and blah, blah, blah. So I explained the situation. So he then proceeds to tell me, oh, well, we want to let you know that you were selected to be one of a handful of speakers to speak before the President of the United States. I was like, come again? They were like, at the presidential podium. I was like, no, really, come on. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, I will definitely make it. So cancel the plans, felt bad, but spoke to the Vice President Harris's office, cancel those plans, and apparently I'm I'm one of a handful of speakers. So you had the governor who spoke, lieutenant governor spoke, the, of course, the president of Intel spoke, um, the president of OSU spoke, a couple other people, and then I was one of the speakers. And they tell you you only have three minutes. That's all you got. They will shut you down in three minutes. Now, if you know me, Doug, I don't memorize speeches. You know, I learn my content. I know what I want to say. I do my preparation. Don't get me wrong, but I don't memorize speeches. You know what you're going to talk about, but you have no idea what words are coming out of your mouth until they come. I just hope on this one, I put pen to paper. Like I said, you know what? I I, I, I don't take myself seriously, but when these opportunities come, I take the opportunities very seriously. So I wrote and worked on this speech. Got it down. First time I wrote it, eight minutes. Like, ah, oh, got it down six minutes. Finally, I got it down to three minutes. But most importantly, I took it as an opportunity to speak a different kind of language. Because I know from experience, just like you know, you go to all these events, people give the classic kind of political stomp speech, whether a politician or not. You know, if it's at a political event or the president's there, you know, we're going to do this, it's going to do this. And, that. and I said, you know what? I'm going to take a different story. And just like your podcast, I decided, you know what? I'm going to tell a story. And that's how I approached it. And I've learned from years of giving talks, if you construct a narrative or if you can tell a story, whether it works out that it's powerful or riveting or not, but if you can tell a story, that resonates with people. People don't want to hear statistics per se. People don't want to hear, you know, the definitive classic things you got to say when you give me a speech. But if you're just telling people a story, people love a good story. And that's how I approached it. So I thank you for bringing it up. But but that's how I ended up doing that. I initially dismissed, not intentionally, the President of the United States, found out they wanted me to be a speaker. And it's one of the greatest honors of my life, obviously, to be at the same podium as the president. And I'm not a politician to, to, to give some remarks. Well, I, when I first saw the very... The, the very first picture is you actually behind the, the presidential podium. And there's the, I'm thinking, Dr. B's the president. And I, I was getting <laughs> nervous. I was getting real nervous. But no, the speech was... That would, that would be a calamity for this nation if I were the president <laughs> of these United States. But so, I mean, the, the speech was tremendous. And I think that you hit on some things already. Intel's, it's a business thing, but it's a national security thing. It's a, it's a big deal, not just from a, a Columbus perspective, but in terms of giving the U.S. a foundation, but then it, you know, we, everybody's talking about it in Columbus. Who I want to do business with Intel. And the reality is that there's a lot of us that probably won't do business with Intel, but we'll be doing business with the businesses that are downstream in their supply chain. We'll be That's supporting correct. them. There will be people here today and that are here today in Columbus that are going to have opportunities to work for Intel, but also they're going to have opportunities to work for so many of these other firms that are going to support Intel, but most of those jobs require science. That's right. 
And so it, it is interesting. We talk so much on Empower Hour about workforce. And it, it, it was this whole concept was business is good, where, you know, GBQ empowers growth, where business is innovating and adapting. And it was started kind of the thought process when we were in the middle of the pandemic. And we had firms that were, they stopped making exercise equipment and started making PPE, the rogue things. Yeah. They slowed down making making great whiskey and made hand sanitizer. High Bank is an example. And yeah, people were still disgruntled with business. And then you start you kind of take a look at how we business is good. And it raises people up. But there's a lot of people that that are kind of blocked off from some of that success. And one of those reasons we've talked about this is they don't have access to, you know, science, technology, help me with the E. Engineering. Engineering. Arts and math. Arts and math. And so that that steam that kind of propels this stuff. So you're educating people, not just here in Columbus, but everywhere on the skills that we need to be a science-based economy. Yeah. Well, no, I love how you teed that up. You know, any of your guests, any of your listeners, if you wake up in the morning tomorrow and you live in Western society or, you know, you're not off the grid. If you live in Western society and you wake up tomorrow, I challenge you to get throughout the entire day or however many hours you stay awake without specifically being dependent on science and technology. It is literally impossible. We roll out of bed, we grab our telephone to see who tweeted what, texted what, what science makes that possible. We then get out of bed, take a shower. Science made all that stuff happen, right? From soaps and cleanliness to how water is powered to your home. Then you eat food. The lion's share of our food has been genetically modified. And I'm not judging that. I'm just saying, fine, if you're eating cereal, that has genetically modified products. In it. I mean, it's the food you're eating. Then you get dressed, you go to work, you know, using GPS. How many, when's the last time you, you let me, Doug, when's the last time you unfolded a map and had it on your steering wheel and tried to go somewhere? We don't. We got this thing called GPS. If, if the, our loved ones get sick, we got medicines that take care of this. I mean, I can go on and on. Science is literally everywhere. So I'll go off grid. I'll go off grid and help you. So I, back, <laughs> I backpack a lot. And oh, okay. I have a group of friends. We backpack, and I'm 58. I've been carrying a, a backpack on my on my back for a long time. Mm-hmm. When I was 18 and doing it, I didn't care how much it weighed. Mm-hmm. And off grid, out in the mountains, I can't avoid science because of some of the lightweight materials that are about all my gear. And you so you cannot even disconnect and step away from science. I completely agree with you. Thanks for adding that. Cause I'm going to start using that as I tee this up. That's a great point. Thanks for sharing that. And so, so that's the first thing. So it's everywhere. It, it defines us, right? Fine. We're dependent on it. the second thing from a practical standpoint, and you talked about workforce development in this great country, 50% five Oh of the available jobs that are out there, are either directly dependent on science, technology, engineering, and math, or the kissing cousin of it. And, and I'm not talking about getting a PhD or an MD, whatever. You can go to a two-year, go back to your Intel example. You can go to a two-year community college, get a tech-based degree with 21st century tech skills, coding, this and that, whatever. And you can start at hundred grand at Intel if you get the job. I mean, it's unbelievable. So A, it's everywhere. It, we are dependent on it. B, from a practical standpoint of employment, it gives you an opportunity to get a good job. And if you're in, if you're doing fine in middle class, upper class, good for you. But if you're struggling, it helps elevate you out of an impoverished situation. Um, like it's real. And so 
COSI is just a small part of a larger ecosystem of folks that understand this and try to share this with the world to say, you may, you don't have to become an astrophysicist, but you should learn a little bit of science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And the other pieces that's so interesting, and this, you may, this may resonate with you, Doug, if you can't read or write, if you're illiterate, right? You know, you're embarrassed. You know, your family and friends are a little embarrassed. You. There's a little shame there, right? If you can't do your times tables or you can't count your change when you go by, that's embarrassing. But for some reason, Canada, the United States, much of Europe, much of the developed world is agnostic if they know nothing about science. In fact, some people actually wear the badge of honor. I'm not a nerd. I stopped science in grade four. You know, and it's just a bizarre thing. And so... We're trying to, we're, you know, not sort of movement, but it's just a philosophy. We're trying to get people to say, hey, first of all, it's not that scary, right? Like anything else, it's how you present it to you. You know, that's why we do some of the media stuff we do to showcase in ways that make sense to you. But two, if you learn a little bit about that, it'll help you make better decisions, right? The subprime crisis that collapsed our world in 2008. Well, if people understood a little bit of compound interest or a little bit of exponential growth, they would understand what a ballooning mortgage would do to them. And they would be like, I want to get that house, but I can't afford the mortgage in three years. There's so many things. The pandemic, I mean, talk about something that underscored the importance of science. People can protest. People can dance around the political divide all they want. I don't care if you're an R or D or in between. We are coming out of the pandemic by one reason and one reason only. The scientific enterprise came up with vaccines that helped control the spread of the bug. All of that to say, that's the ecosystem that I like to play in. I'm not evangelical about it. I'm not trying to beat it into people's heads, but I am trying to share the wonders and beauty of our natural universe. And the more we know about that, the more we can help ourselves, the more we can help other people, and the more we can develop stuff that takes care of the world. No, I, amen, amen. And, and I think that if you don't have, you know, the flip side of this is I think Ohio... I'm going to get the stat wrong, but I'm going to be in the right zone. I think Ohio is in the top three of implementation of robotics. Mm. Uh, we can't find enough people. So yeah. what do we do? We automate. The jobs then become the care and feeding of those robotics, which is a science thing. Yeah. But then at some point, we're going to tip the scale where it's not about we can't find enough people. It's that our robotics are better than the people that are available to get the work done more efficiently and effectively, but I'm still going to need to maintain them. And so as we kind of move through this arc of, of innovation, the people that don't have science are going to be left out even more than they are today. And so it, it really is a critical imperative that, that we get unscienced people Science, if that's a word. I just made a word. Yeah. No, no, I, I love what you're saying. And, and, and you know, I'm so glad you brought up that, oh, my gosh, taking jobs away. What is technology doing for our society? You know, the analogy I like to use, and it's really relevant in this community, actually, because Columbus was one of the horse buggy capitals of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's mm -hmm. better than me. Like, you know, Columbus literally led the world in horse buggy, in horse carriage development. They were shipped all around the world. All right. Well, when Henry Ford, the genius study was, went through models A, B, C, all the way down to model T, and finally democratized how to make a car that was affordable for the masses, et cetera, people were screaming bloody murder. Oh, my gosh. What about all the, all the technical folks who take care of the horse and buggies? You're eliminating those jobs. What are we going to do? Oh, well, I don't know. Go look at Ford and GM and Detroit and how the automotive industry produced 
infinitely more jobs than the couple horse and buggy people we met, right? So the technology changed. Yeah, it eliminated, you know, most of the use of horse and buggies, but the jobs just exploded, but a different field. That's the same thing with technology and robotics and innovation and automation. Sure, you might not need person X to pull a lever, but who's going to repair the machine? Doesn't matter how sophisticated these machines are, they need to be maintained, they need to be taken care of, and they need to be created. So you're absolutely right. That happens every 30 years or so. There's a new transformational invention. And so you retool your skills. You know, and now we live in a Moore's Law society where every 18 months things change. So we got to retool a little faster. You and I were joking about our understanding of, you know, servers and this versus the whole new cloud computing kind of concept. You got to retool and keep it moving. But there will always be jobs available. And science and technology, it's grown from 5%, 10%, 20%. Now 50% of the jobs in this great country are science-related and tech-related. I had not heard that stat. It doesn't surprise me. Automation is good. Because it's augmenting jobs and the kind of stuff that bore people to death can be automated and then they can do something higher level. You know, that's kind of the approach. It's like working for an accounting firm. There's a lot of a lot of data entry. I mean, if yeah. you can automate that, people don't say, oh, my gosh, I got to go to the office and <laughs> right. put all this stuff in forms all day long. Yeah. You know, it, it raises the opportunities for some people. Yeah. But that's that math problem. You know, I don't know that it's directly 50%, but there's 50% of the people that have really had a tremendous ride through this this craziness that is the current environment. Yeah. And then there's others that are left out. And it, it, I, you know, it's not a 50-50 thing, but there's a, a haves and have-nots. And it's that how do we raise the, the people that are in the have-not category? And yeah. so you know, part of that is educating in science. I know... I, well, now we're going to talk about my relationship with COSI. I think it was second grade was the first time I got on the school bus, hmm. rode down 71. Um, I grew up in the Mansfield area, and we went through the what was old old COSI on Broad Street. Uh, I think it was the, what, Streets of Yesteryear or whatever that was yep. called. And, we still got that in the new COSI. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward, we build a new building across the river, and it's a beautiful thing. And yet COSI is just not a building anymore. So yeah. you innovation technologies changed what COSI is. Yeah. So I still think my second grade brain says, oh, it's a cool building. And I've been there as an adult. I had I had three sons that we took to COSI. Scout leader took kids to scouts. I know it's not just a kid's place either because uh, GBQ, I think it was the year before the pandemic, had our holiday party um, okay. at COSI. So I've been there as an adult doing adult things. One of the local papers had their awards ceremony there just a few months ago. I was there. So it's an adult place as well, but it's not just a place. So let's talk about that. Yeah. And I'm glad how you teed that up because it's really an and situation. It's not an or or a substitution. It's an and. That place you remember as a a two-year, as a second grader on Broad Street across, and I'm not from here, but I learned this. It was across the very first Wendy's in this country. Yes. people, People used to go to COSI if you were a kid. You'd spend 25 cents. If you're an adult, you pay 50 cents. And then you go across the street for a 10 cent or 20 cent burger. I got to say, it was the, the Kosai had a little vending machine food court in the basement. And, and going, getting to go to Wendy's was much better than the food court. <laughs> so, anyway. I'm not mad at you for saying that. <laughs> As a Wendy's fan, I appreciate that. So, yeah. So, so, so we, we still cherish the building experience 
you know, we have fantastic exhibits. We still cherish having kiddos and families enjoying all the fun experiences we have. To your point, we have a lot of adult stuff here. It's a sales and catering place. So you can, we host weddings, we host conferences, we host special events. And then we COSI plans its own COSA after dark. This is a fun event we do once a month. That's on a Thursday. We average about 24 to 2,500, 21 plus adults from 7 to 10 p.m. enjoying Kosai. We sell beer, wine, full bar. That clearly helps getting people in the door. Um, we have food. But people really get their science on in an adult fashion, and we have different themes. So, so yes, it's all of that. But the end is gets back to the reach that a cultural institution can do. And I tell the team this all the time. We are a science center, meaning that's the specialty we play in. We're science-y type folks. But more than that, bigger than that, is we're a culturing institution, an anchoring cultural institution for this community, just like the zoo, just like the library, just like the art museum, just like the botanical gardens. And as a cultural institution, it's more than just what you're doing physically in the building and pressing a button, getting that science experience, but you're about elevating humanity. You're hoping to interact somehow with a person, a human of whatever age, and that experience with COSI in our case, whether it's in the building or outside the building, that experience will elevate you and hopefully contribute to you becoming the best you can be. And so that's not restricted to the building, right? So imagine you go to your favorite happy hour spot and you get in a cosmopolitan or an apple martini or something, and it's sitting on this coaster. And you look at the coaster and the coaster tells you, Doug, hey, the reason why you like this Cosmo or Manhattan or you know whatever it is, apple martini, is because the hydroxyl group of the alcohol is hitting your tongue in the same space and time as the cranberry juice. And that collision actually gives an effervescent, feels great. That science is brought to you by COSI. And you're like, what's a COSI? I've never been to COSI, but that's pretty cool. Oh my God. Right. So it's a way of connecting people where they live, where they learn, where they lounge, whatever they're doing. We're going to bring out a cool aspect of science that resonates with what you're interested in to get you to appreciate, hey, this is cool. And maybe, just maybe, you might feel more comfortable about learning about science and, and raising your science IQ, as we like to say. I'm a bourbon guy and a craft beer guy. And Got there's it. a beer for everybody. Talking about old technology, there's a beer for everybody. But the science you just described explains why I like IPAs and stouts and Saisons and Belgians. Mm-hmm. And I have some friends that like sours, and I can't get near a sour. There you go. There you go. So and the people... Science. And the craftsmen and craftswomen that make that stuff, don't get it twisted. They are 100% scientists, right? The Your master bourbon distiller, right, or whatever bourbon you drink, the, he or she understands the science of that in incredible ways, right? But we don't often think about it that way. Yep. yep. We have this avoidance of, of science kind of a, like yeah. we talked a little bit earlier that, you know, that it's a badge of honor that I got through college without a science class. Yes, oh. as, as you're using your GPS to go to your next yeah, location. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I have people sometimes that say, well, so we don't use any AI in our business. It's like, how'd you get here? I was all AI. That's uh, right. It's under the current. Yeah. So if I can't go to COSI, I can still be with COSI. And I'll start with five Emmys for or a program that you guys have put together. Let's talk about the the out there in the cloud and the what the, back in that day, you probably, you're, 
we're contemporaries, I think, age-wise, the, with the information superhighway, which you never hear that anymore because it's kind of a crazy old metaphor. But that's right. But you know, out there in the cloud, in the in, in cyberspace, wherever you want to call it, we're not ready to say in met- metaverse, but mm-hmm. out there, cosi is out there. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, that that's a great point. One of the things is okay, we got our building; it's fantastic, and we want you to have a capstone experience inside the building. Come check it us, check us out. What happens if you're in Texas? The chances of you coming to Cosi are slim to none. But we at Cosi would love to still try to get you, capture you, get you excited around this enterprise called science. So we launched a lot of programs that are digital-based. So you go to Cosi.org, Cosi Connects. If you're a teacher or a parent, we got all kinds of stuff, grade specific. That's all for free. But then we have two really cool creative media products. And you mentioned the Emmys. We'll come to them. One of them is called QED with Dr. B. That's a primetime television show that we created in partnership with PBS, WOSU. It's 30 minutes, Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And that's a show where I go around. I'm the Dr. B and the QED with Dr. B. I go around the country. In fact, some of the people I interview are outside the country. And I interview scientists. But the cool thing that we know how to do as a science museum is we know how to connect with the top scientists who are doing cutting-edge research. But we know how to make their vocabulary and how they explain stuff, we know how to bring it down without making the audience feel bad or, pardon the expression, but dumb or unintelligent. No, no, we just break it down because that's what science museums do, right? We make the stuff accessible. And so now we created this show where we're talking about climate change, but in a way that it resonates with people. We're talking about, you talked about artificial intelligence. we got a show on artificial intelligence that breaks it down for the everyday person. we got a show on GMOs, a show on why we exercise. On stress, we did two shows, not one, but two shows on on the neuroscience behind addiction. Why? Everybody, if you're breathing oxygen, you have a family member or a loved one that is suffering addiction of some kind. It's not a stigma. It's not a character flaw. It's biology. It happens. So we unpack that. So we take topics that are relevant. You know, we're not talking about a Bunsen burner that you did in chemistry class in high school 40 years ago. We're talking about real science stuff, you know, and we break that down. So that's that program. The second program is an animated series, think cartoon, three to five minutes long, where, again, we break down similar tough topics. Together, those programs in the first year, our team, your COSI, won five Emmys. And the reason why that excites me is not because, oh, now you got some Emmys on your shelf and, oh, it's a good conversation piece. More importantly than that, Doug, Emmys, which is the world's highest recognition of great television and media content and production, have finally decided that, hey, Science communication and engaging people around science is actually important, and we're going to recognize people who do a good job doing that. And that's why I'm so thrilled that we won, you know, in our very first season for each, we won two for the TV show and three for the animated series. I have never, in all, I think we're 20-some shows, interviewed an animated character. And so you're my first animated character. I hope I'm living. Here's the good news. I'm both your best animated character that you've interviewed, but I'm also the worst one you've interviewed. Yes, you are. You're, you're, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You're the, the whole ranking. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, no, it's fun stuff. I mean, all jokes aside, it's I'm really proud of the team. It's really fun to be able to get people to get excited about science again. You know, it really is. And I get, you know, go to cosi.org slash QED with Dr. B or cosi.org, Dr. B in three, or just put Dr. B in three, cosi in Google. You'll find it. These are fun ways of breaking down great topics. And what, what we've learned is teachers love it in middle school and high school because it's not an hour long video, but in five minutes or three minutes, they can break down herd immunity, viruses, 
artificial intelligence, organic foods, GMOs, why we go to space, you name it, the list goes on and on. And they love it. So, so the K through 12 space loves it. But then regular adults out there, even if you have a PhD in physics or you're an accountant, it resonates with you because, you know, they're fun. They're interesting. From watching one of the trailers, there's no homework involved. <laughs> um, so there, that that's true. But there is homework for listeners. And then we're going to get to a, a couple ending questions. But the homework for the listeners is, number one, go to cosi.org and watch QED and explore the website. And it sounds like, and it's going to be on my to-do list, go experience COSI after hours um, at some point this year, number one. Number two, go to Dr. B's website and watch that Intel groundbreaking speech because it'll fire you up about Columbus and Ohio and, and the United States. And to write, to have written that in a couple of days, super cool that you're able to pull that off because it, it, I've said it before, it's a great speech. Well, um, I appreciate that, but that's the pre- pressure of knowing you're going to be in front of the President of the United no, States well, and, and before the President of the United States. So pre- pre- what does it say? Pre- pressure pressure builds diamonds, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So we're not, we're at the end. I know that you and I probably could talk like six hours, like one of those Joe Rogan monster <laughs> sessions, but that nobody's going to listen to us. So we're going to get to the final countdown. What did you dream of becoming when you were in middle school? So I grew up in Montreal, Canada, and I played lots of sports, soccer, basketball, baseball, um, I used to skateboard and BMX, but my favorite sport was hockey. And I actually found a photo of me three years old where I'm wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey. And I started playing hockey at three, only because I'm the last of four. My brothers were playing hockey, so my parents didn't know what to do, so they stuck me along with it. Long story short, when I was in middle school, I thought I was going to be a professional hockey player generally and specifically for my Montreal Canadiens. Fast forward, I played on traveling teams, et cetera, et cetera. I was really good. It got kind of up, you know, I ended up not being the best person on the ice as I got older into the college days. But yeah, I wanted to be a hockey player. Like that was my dream. That's cool. I would not have guessed that at all. That's a cool story. Who inspires you? I mean, a shout out to my parents. Both of them have passed away, but but my parents inspired all of us. Again, I'm the last of four. I like to say I'm the oops baby's younger brother. <laughs> so my, my, my mother was late 40s when I decided to 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 peek my, my head out at this world. So definitely not planned. But, you know, my parents were amazing. And so my inspiration definitely came from my parents. And the biggest thing they did is they said, son, daughter, you all can do whatever you want to do. And they exposed us to everything. I was skiing. I mean, my parents are from the Caribbean, Barbados and Trinidad. We, we don't know skiing. But I was raised in Montreal. My parents were like, we're going to have our kids ski too. Like, so they were really inspirational to expose us to so many things and support us to say, you can do it. If you knock down, get back up, keep trying, you can do it. So that's for, first and foremost there. Outside of that, people who inspire me are people who are their authentic selves. You may be a celebrity. You may not be a celebrity. You may be wealthy. You may be dirt poor. What inspires me? As an as becoming an adult and now as a, a full grown, you know, several several decade old adult, is anybody who can express and be their authentic selves, regardless. That inspires me, and I think that's really that's something I aspire to do myself. Cool. What is your favorite life hack? Lead and kill them with kindness, Doug. I've learned that regardless of the situation. When back to the authentic self, when you could authentically be kind to the people close to you, 
kind to the people you work with or kind to strangers, that has been, and I'm not saying it true for everybody. That has been, you asked me my life hack. That has been my life hack. You you make friends the way we're bonding over this podcast. And for the listeners, um, he's my new BFF. So I'll be hanging out with Doug <laughs> plenty after this. But really, killing people with kindness, just just leading leading with the heart, as they say, that's my life hack. Beautiful. The second one would be finding out that single malt scotch is like the greatest liquid ever. <laughs> and the other good thing about being kind to people, if 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 they're mad at you, it makes them even madder. <laughs> it's, so. it's true. It's true. And then they come around eventually. Yeah. There you go. What's been your most valuable failure? Oh man, which one? I mean, you know, Dean Kamen is one of my my mentors, one of these people I ascribe to. Um, he's a gentleman who invented the Segway. He's actually the country's probably most prolific engineer. He has about 500 patents right now. He's an unbelievable guy. He has this mantra that I love. It says, fail fast, fail often. And so it's not a, a backdoor out. The honest way I'll answer that question is my most important failure is my next one, because I believe Failing is okay. We're raised in a society where it's not, you know, we have these exams, you go through school, oh my God, you got a wrong answer. There's nothing wrong with failing because well, as long as you learn from it and you can build from it. So my, I failed on so many things. It's not even funny. I can give you alphabetical order, numerical order. <laughs> my most important failure is my next one because I do know how to iterate, pivot, tweak, and keep it moving based on failures. But that's actually foundational to innovation. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly right. So lastly, you obviously work very hard and you're all over the country, actually the world, you travel, you speak, you run the run COSI, you're busy, you're busy guy. How do you step away from work and play to balance your life out? You know, that's a great question. I'm, I'm really lucky. You know, I'm one of these lucky people that my work is what I learned. I learned this term in elementary school. It talked about your vocation. And I, I couldn't, I just couldn't understand it. They're like, no, 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 it's not a job. It's your calling. It's your vocation. And I, yeah, the kid, I didn't get it. As an adult, I really appreciate that. I really love what I do. You know, am I a billionaire? No, but I don't care. I love what I do. And so, yes, I work hard, just like you and a lot of people we know work hard, but my work is is my passion. So so I love to do it. I have no problems putting in the time. Um, if you ask me, you know, if I could unwind, what would I do? I love to write. I don't particularly think I'm a great writer, but I do love to write. I love to like physically get my words down on paper or even type on a computer and express myself through the, through, through you know, manipulating the King's English. And so I could spend, you know, hours um, doing that. I do, I have to say it, I'm a Netflix junkie. And a YouTube junkie. So if I'm tired of writing or I am a little tired from, you know, the quote unquote day job vocation, I'll plug in and binge watch some stuff on Netflix with the best of them. <laughs> and then I love sports. So I'm a huge sports fan. And you name the sport from World Cup soccer to NFL football to, to basketball to, of course, hockey, you name it. And that's it. The final countdown. But that's not going to be it. And I think this conversation, we're going to stop recording and probably continue Dr. B, thanks for joining. You know, was first introduced or exposed to you when you won an award, the Smart Business Award, um, for the for really innovating at COSI with the the five Grammys. Again, I encourage everybody to go out to COSI.org and, and look that up and spread the word about what's happening here in Columbus. Um, in a building that's really touching everybody on the planet if they just have the right uh, the right internet address for it. Thanks for joining us. 
Well, Doug, I, I thank you and your incredible podcast. It's an honor to be one of your guests. What you're giving to the community, showcasing a myriad and spectrum of talents and people trying to do stuff. We're so glad to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And as you said, this is not only not the last, it is absolutely a beginning. I look forward to you on the back end when we hang out, sipping some cider with some bourbon. Time's up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Empower Hour. Join us next time by subscribing to Empower Hour on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred listening platform. Want more GBQ? We don't blame you. Visit us online at gbq.com for the business news and advice that matters most. Who is empowering your growth?